I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. It's on the screen, and so this question is, is Christianity a set of beliefs? Hey, the toy? There. Thank you, brother. So is Christianity a set of beliefs and a lifestyle that you try to follow, or is it a vibrant relationship with God in which you walk with Jesus and are led by his spirit? So allow that question to kind of sink in just for a moment. Is, is your Christianity nothing more than just a set of of doctrines that, that you adhere to, that you believe, and a lifestyle of going to church, a lifestyle of trying to be a moral person. So all, all the trappings of the lifestyle, is, is that what it is, or is it truly a vibrant relationship where you really are walking with Jesus and you're being led by his spirit? How real is Jesus to you. See, God's plan has always been, from the very beginning, his plan has always been personal relationship. As his creations, we have been made to, to just be in awe of his infinite perfections, to then receive his grace and then to respond with an intense, overflowing desire to just know him. And when that happens from deep inside and we're, we're satisfied in him, what happens is his glory is being displayed through our lives. And that's the reason why in the very beginning God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, the cool of the evening. Now in Abu Dhabi, you wouldn't do that in August because it's too humid. You can't even breathe in the cool of the evening. But in the Garden of Eden, when it was perfect, God would go and he would just walk with them. It's the reason why God later told his people in the wilderness to build a tabernacle so he could have his presence right there with them. And why later they built a temple so that this was the manifestation. This was, you could see that God was right there with his people. His presence was with them, and it's why then Jesus later would say to people, follow me. Jesus never said, pick a religion. He never said, adhere to these beliefs. Jesus said, come, follow me. See, God is passionate about having a people that are close to him in a, a growing love relationship. He wants people to know him, and enjoy him. Not know about him through a religion. No, 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 no. He wants us to know him. And this, if you're a believer, is not optional. This is not optional. It's not up for debate. Treasuring and truly enjoying God is why you exist. That is the essence of worship. So knowing, enjoying God is what worship is. It's why you have breath in your lungs. And so today we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of John with different encounters, different people who had conversations with Jesus. So encountering Jesus, and may we truly see mercy in the eyes. 
Today we're looking at John chapter 14. We're going to see a very powerful encounter of Jesus having a conversation with his disciples, his closest friends. And in chapter 13, the chapter before this, it's important to know the context here. Because this is the night before Jesus would be crucified. And so in John 13, what you have is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. They're sharing a Passover meal together. They're singing hymns. They're enjoying fellowship. He institutes communion for the church. He's having this conversation with them. And he tells them he's going to leave. He tells his closest friends that he's going to be betrayed which would happen a few hours later. And he tells them he's going to go away and that they can't follow him. And the next morning he would be crucified. And what he reveals in these chapters is he's showing us how we can encounter him today. Chapters 14, 15, and 16 in John are a unit. Again, 13 is the beginning of this. And those three chapters, Jesus is teaching his disciples. It's, so if your Bible is like mine, it's in red, it's all red in those three chapters, because Jesus is just talking, and he's explaining, he's teaching his men what's going to happen later that evening, and so he's preparing them, but he's also telling them that as he's betrayed and crucified, that, he's, that he will be displaying the glory of God through his resurrection. Now, disciples couldn't understand that. They, they did not comprehend what he was saying. The only thing that they heard was I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going away and you cannot follow me. And so his men were just crushed, just so broken and just so down over the idea of not having Jesus anymore. They loved him. They walked with him and they knew that he came from God and they wanted to be with him and now he's leaving. And they didn't know how to think about this except being incredibly depressed over it. Let me give you the main idea from chapter 14 as we begin now here reading it. As we look at this conversation he had with his disciples, what we're seeing here is Jesus is revealing the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his disciples. See, he's leaving them, but he's not really leaving them. He's going to send his spirit, and he will not leave them fatherless or, or orphans. And so he's revealing in chapter 14 of John exactly the role of the Holy Spirit. With Christ leaving, he's saying, I'm not leaving you alone. And so John 14 and John 16, again, in this unit, it gives us the fullest account of the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of God's people. Now, there is truly a lot that could be said about the Holy Spirit, a lot. could do a whole summer series on this, but what we're going to do here this morning is just look at it with two primary headings. So the entire work of God's Spirit in our lives can be summarized with two very basic headings, and we'll look at them here together. The first one is that the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to provide the presence of God. And so what the Spirit does for you and me is he provides for us the very presence of God. So God's plan has always been to dwell 
among, live with his people. And now the Holy Spirit makes that possible in the ultimate sense because now God lives in, not just with, but he lives in his people. You can't get much closer than that. He lives in us. And so we have his presence. And so let's read John 14. Let's look at the first five verses. So Jesus tells his closest friends, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So Jesus says that he wants them to be close to him. I want you, he says in verse 3, I'll come again. I'll take you to myself and where I am you will be also. So you see that theme. He wants his people close to him. But Thomas, see, Thomas was thinking that Jesus could maybe send him a WhatsApp, you know, a dropped pin, so that he could then use his, his smartphone and use Google Maps to find the way to where, where Jesus is. He wants a map. We don't know where you're going. Can you please send me a message? And, and Jesus says, oh, no, I don't just know the way. He says in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, then you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is amazing. See, Jesus isn't some religious leader who can show you the path. Jesus doesn't know the way to God the Father. He says, I am the way. I myself am the way. I am the truth and the life. Jesus embodies the truth. He is our life. And he is the only way through him, through his work on the cross. He took our shame and our guilt. He paid the price for our sins, resurrected powerfully. He has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He is the way to God. And so we exist to be in this joy-filled presence of Jesus because he's made a way. And he says, knowing Jesus is knowing the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. That is enough for us. He's not paying attention. He says, show us the Father. That's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and Father is in me, or else believe on the counts of the, of the works themselves. It's like, don't you see? You've already seen God. When you see me, you're seeing the face of God. I am in the Father. He is in 
me. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. But what's amazing is, after three years of being in the presence of God in the flesh, of being right there with Jesus, encountering him every day, they did not know him. They didn't know. They didn't really know him. Now that might sound like a, a travesty to you, but the reality is, we'll see in a few minutes, they couldn't. They couldn't. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. There was no way. And so you need someone outside of you to come in to change your heart, open your eyes, to enable you to know Jesus. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works, hear that, do greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, in my name, I will do it. This is amazing. Jesus promises that his disciples will do greater works than he did. It's like, well, how is that possible? Well, think about it. Jesus' ministry was very localized in one small geographical area. With his leaving and sending his spirit to be in his people, now the gospel has spread to every tribe and nation and tongue on the planet. And there are still those that are unreached. I, I shouldn't say every, because that, that will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. There are still those that are unreached, but we are working and trusting him to help us to reach them. But the gospel has gone global. And so now it's still Jesus working, but through his people. And it's greater because it's bigger and it's more expansive. And Jesus is still working through you and me today. Now, verse 13 and 14, where he says, if you ask me anything, I will do it for you. We're not going to talk about that this morning. That's a long conversation. We'll save that for home groups this week. So if not in a home group, you're going to miss out. Because every week what we do is we study the text from the sermon, go deeper, apply it share it, encourage each other. And so if you're not in a home group, you're really missing out. This is the primary way that we have community and that we grow together. And so we'll be exploring this concept more this week in our home groups. Let's finish chapter 14 so you can better understand the Spirit's role in our lives. Verse 15. She says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Just amazing. It just blows me away. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much to you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. There is just so much in this, but we can only look at the main highlights this morning. Remember the context. These gentlemen are troubled. Jesus is saying, I am leaving. I'm going to the Father. And they're so afraid of losing Jesus. In verse 1, he says, trust me. Let not your hearts be troubled. He says it again here. He's saying to trust him. God promised in verse 3, Jesus says, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And he says here, I'll be in you, and you will be in me. We're, we're going to have this union. Do you see the theme here in John 14? It's all about knowing Jesus and having a vibrant relationship with him. Where you experience his presence through his spirit, and it leads to a life of obedience, a life of loving to obey what God commands. Not this religious burden checklist do. No, it's loving Jesus just naturally results in his presence we're seeing through his spirit and a desire to obey. And he says that, yes, we're going to be with him forever one day in heaven. You'll be with me. But we don't have to wait until we're in heaven to have his presence. We can experience his presence right here and right now. It's real. His presence really is real. I'm not, I'm not talking about self-help or the power of positive thinking. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the real spirit of God living really in you. And he promised, he says, to send another helper to be with you forever. Now, when you read the word there, he says another, it means another of the same kind, another of the same essence. Kind of like if you go to a coffee shop and you order a chai tea latte. That's my favorite drink, by the way. I like Costas. I mean, they're not paying me anything, but, you know, I like it. And so suppose you go to Casa and order a chai tea latte, and it's, it's a long, really great conversation. I already finished it, so I say, can I have another? 
And they said, another what? I, I want another. Well, another what? Another chai tea latte? Another drink? Like, do you want a cappuccino now? Or do you want a latte this time? Another what? If I say, oh, you know what? I'll go, I'll go with the cappuccino. Then I'm getting another of a different kind. It's a different drink. But I say, no, no, I want another chai tea latte. I want another of the same kind. It's another one, but it's the same essence. It's the same drink. When Jesus here says that he's going to send another, he's saying another of the same kind. Another that has the same essence. Another who is like him, who is God. So yes, he's another, different person, same essence, fully God. So he says to send another, but he says another helper. So the Holy Spirit here is called helper. Now in the original, that word is called, it's paraclete. And so that's the Greek word, is paraclete. Now the, the word, the, the prefix para, all that para just means to come alongside of, to offer support. And, and we know this, so like a paramedic. What does a paramedic do? Well, para means to come alongside of, offer support. So a paramedic comes alongside of you on the side of the road when you had an accident, and they offer you medical support. A paralegal comes along your side, offers you legal support. A parachurch organization is a organization that comes alongside of a church for ministry. So, so the, the, the word para just means come alongside of for support. So he's a paraclete. Now, that word cleat, the root, means to call. And so kaleo is the Greek version of the, of the noun cleat, kaleo, just means to call. So, so all of this to say this, we're called to do something. We are commanded. And so when you see the description paraclete, it means come alongside of to offer support while being called to do something specific, to be given instructions. And so this is very important for us to understand the Holy Spirit's role because he has two of them here according to this word. One, he comes alongside of you to encourage, to help you, to comfort you, to help you, like it says in some translations. But he also comes to give you instructions, to direct you, to call you, to be more like him, more holy. So you have grace and truth wrapped up in this word for the Holy Spirit. Now, some translations use the word counselor. Now, the reason why it says counselor, now, don't think therapist counselor, not like that. Think like a legal counselor. And so sometimes attorneys are called counselors because they give you counsel on the law. And so what you see here is he is the advocate, and so some translations have the word advocate. So, so you're thinking, well, well, why are there so many? Helper, counselor, comforter, advocate. The reason why is that we have English translations, and we're trying to find the best word to capture a very large sense of meaning in the original Greek word. And so comforter is a good word. He comes alongside of us. Helper, counselor, but this is a legal counselor. Now, by the way, in case you're curious, if you go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, 1 John 2, 1, you know what it calls Jesus there? Paraclete, same as the Holy Spirit here. Jesus is called an advocate in 1 John 2, 1. 
And it says that he is our advocate because Jesus speaks to the Father and says, look upon Matthew. He is innocent. I paid the price for him. He stands before you, Father, judge, justified, not guilty. And so Jesus is your advocate who goes to the Father and says, you're innocent. And so Jesus, as the paraclete, as the advocate, speaks to God for you, saying, you're innocent, not guilty. But the Holy Spirit, also an advocate, but he speaks to you for you. And so Jesus' advocate speaks to God for you. Spirit advocate speaks to you for you, declaring you to be innocent. Through the spirit of truth, knowing Jesus means knowing the spirit. He, not it, he lives in you. And he, the spirit, is interwoven with your human spirit. You are one. You have union with God. So you are one with him. You can be at peace with him through his spirit. And so the Spirit of God provides us the presence of God. And so when our enemy, when Satan will come to slander you, to accuse you, to lie to you, spirit, spirit of truth, Satan is the spirit of lies. He's a liar from the beginning. And when the enemy comes and he says, you're worthless, you're hopeless, God's not there for you. Where is God? He can't love you. You're never going to change. Your situation is never going to get better. Are you sure God is there for you? I don't think so. When you have all of these lies from the accuser, you have the spirit of truth who is your advocate, who speaks for you, to you, and he, being the spirit of truth, cannot lie, and he speaks truth, and he says, you are loved. You are deeply treasured by your father. And he says, your debt has been paid. And he says, you are free, and there is now no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus. And he says, you are free from slavery to this sin. You don't have to do it anymore. He speaks truth to you. He says, you're a daughter of the king. You have eternal value. Yes, your husband maybe doesn't see it because maybe he's blind. But your father sees it. And he says, and you are a son of the king and you're a warrior. Go fight for your family and defend your wife and your children. He's, he's reminding you of who you are. And so he comes alongside with truth. To say, come on, get up. This is not who you are. You are one with me, with the Father, with Jesus. Let's go live this truth. And he helps you. He's your advocate. We have to understand, know, and believe this. Even when you don't feel it, he is there. John 16 describes a lot about the Spirit as well. We'll read a verse here, verse 7. 
Same conversation, same night. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. You hear that? It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. These men are just so broken. They're, they're about to lose Jesus. He's leaving. And he says, it's better that I go. And the disciples could not possibly understand that. But the truth of God's word is that it is better to have God's spirit in you than Jesus physically next to you. Hear me, it's better to have God's spirit in you than Jesus physically next to you. It's your advantage. Remember something. These men spent three years next to Jesus, and they did not really know him. But after he resurrected, went up to the Father, he sent his spirit. Then they knew him. Then they were ignited because they had the presence of God in them. And they were just so on fire with God's presence that they did things that would seem impossible in face of persecution, being so missional because they had God's presence and they really knew him. And so we need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and then we can see the glory of Jesus and know him. Let's talk for a second, be practical. This is a very long, very big topic, but let's try to make it as practical as we can. What exactly, I mean this, what exactly is the presence of God? It's experiencing a relationship with God. That's what it is. It's experiencing a real relationship. The Spirit of God is a person. He has personhood that we relate to and that we must depend on. Jesus says, I'm going to send him, not it. Now, many people, I think, relate to the Holy Spirit much like they think of the pituitary gland. Well, they know they have it. It's in there somewhere. They're glad to have it. It's doing its job. It's doing something inside of them. Don't really know what it does. But don't relate to the pituitary gland. But they're glad to have it. That's not what it's like with the Holy Spirit. We ought to, we should be Depending on him, relating to him, he is a person that we can talk to, that we learn from. He says that he will teach you. So he teaches us, and we receive comfort from him. And he helps us, and he strengthens us. And so we are to relate to him. But let's just be honest with each other for a moment. Experiencing the presence of God really is a mystery I think sometimes it's less than we make it out to be, sometimes more. It just depends on your personality. But, but I think we can all agree that experiencing God's presence really is a mysterious thing. 
the Bible is very clear on being led by the Spirit. Even this text here, it says you'll be guided by the Spirit to all truth. And so the Bible does say that. Read Acts. You see over and over and over how Paul was being led by the Spirit. So this is so clear. We're told to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. But the Bible doesn't give us a detailed, specific, clear list of bullet points telling exactly how to experience God's presence. I'll say it this way. It's not a formula. And I say this with full confession that most of my life I have not understood this. I have wanted to relegate it, minimize it down to a formula, a list of steps that I can do so that I can get my mind around it. And I've had to come to the end of myself and realize it's bigger than me. The Bible says that this is true, but doesn't say exactly how, because it is a mystery. The fact that we even have union with Jesus is a mystery. It is. It is. It's a mystery that we experience. It's deeply personal and it's real. And a lot of you probably experience and really sense the presence of God when when you're having focused prayer time. When you're really praying and meditating, you're thinking about Jesus, and, and again, there's good prayer time. You just really sense God's presence. Others of you, when you're singing, whether here or in your car, hopefully you're paying attention on the road, but you really do sense God's presence through song. I've talked to several of you. Sometimes there's random moments when God just gives you a word. And you, you sense his presence. And, and there's these inner promptings or strong leadings. And so sometimes like we're grasping for words because we can't hardly put it into words. And so we just say, like, I just feel led or I just have this prompting. And he prompts us to pray for people. I can't tell you how many times I've just been in my office working on one thing or reading and then I just feel like I need to call someone. And then I call the, my brother, and he's like, I'm so glad you just called me right now. And, like, I had no idea, and it was just a spirit-led thing. Or, or people that have said, I woke up last night at 2 in the morning, I don't know why, I just needed to pray for you, and they had no idea that I was struggling with something or a fight with my wife at that moment. Or, that never happens. I'm, I'm sorry. That was not, that's not true. No, of course it happens. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've experienced that others have told me where they feel prompted to just pray, and that's the Spirit of God. Or maybe you get like an almost inexplicable thought that just comes to your mind, and, and you just know that that's coming from the Spirit. He gives us new longings and holy desires that weren't there before. And he, he illuminates, which means to shine light on, he illuminates the Word so that when we read God's Word, we get insight and we understand it. Some people get dreams or visions. Again, this is a really big topic that we could have a whole series on, just this, and looking at different passages. But just here, in summary, experiencing the presence of God is not a formula. It's a relationship that really does have a degree of mystery. And I I think that's how God wants it. Because if it was to be super clear, then he would have given us much more. But he just says, be led by the Spirit. And then we experience that in very personal ways. 
But sometimes you're not going to feel it, and that's okay. If you're not feeling it on that moment, you trust that it's still true. You still have the Holy Spirit, and you still believe. And in time, I assure you, when you come back to the Word or prayer, it'll happen in God's timing. But we need to keep a balance here. This is very important. We have to have a very important balance here. The Spirit does speak and lead in mysterious ways at times. But the primary way from the Word, what we see here, the primary way the Spirit leads is through His Word. That's how he leads us when we experience his presence through the power of the Spirit, but through his word. He's the spirit of truth after all. And so he testifies to Jesus, to his word. And he reveals truth as we read his word. So as we read God's word, the Spirit exposes our sin. He points out areas that need to be changed. And he points us back to the glory of Jesus. So again, the voice of condemnation is from Satan, but the voice of conviction is from the Spirit, reminding you of who you are, drawing you closer to him to experience more of his presence. So we must ask God to reveal our hearts to ourselves. He says he'll guide us to all truth, and so we need to believe that he's going to reveal truth to us. And as I was pondering this this week, I, I truly believe that a lot of people are just not self-aware. A lot of people just don't understand themselves. They don't, they don't know because life is so fast and busy, and most of us don't ever stop to be quiet long enough to really evaluate what's going on inside of us beneath the surface. And a lot of people don't even know why they act the way they do. They don't know why they feel like they do. They don't know why they have these struggles or, or temptations. They don't even know. They just do. They haven't sat quietly enough and asked God's Spirit to guide them to truth, to reveal what's going on inside of them. Let me give you some advice this week. If, you, if this is hitting home for you right now, if you realize that you really have not examined yourself and you're not really self-aware, I encourage you to pick a psalm. I don't know. Start with Psalm 30. I love that psalm. And read it quietly. Just read it quietly. And sit there. And breathe. Feel. And ask Spirit to just reveal to you. And just think. How am I feeling? I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling anxious right now. Why? Why, why am I anxious? And ask God to show you why. Maybe there is something that you've been trying to minimize or, or, or numb or not really face is in the background of your life, so to speak, but it's causing anxiety. And if you'll stop quietly enough to ask God to reveal the truth, maybe he'll reveal to you you're anxious about and once he reveals that to you, then you, you, you can confess that and say, Jesus, help me with that, to trust you with that situation. Maybe you, you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm kind of angry. I'm feeling frustrated about something or someone. But you hadn't stopped before to even really evaluate that. But you can stop and you can think, what's going on? What's, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling fear. 
About what? What are you afraid of? You're one with God. His love casts out fear. But a lot of times if we don't stop quietly long enough in solitude with the word, the Spirit's not going to reveal because that's the way he works, through the word. When we quiet in solitude and seeking him. So we pursue the Spirit through the word. And he reveals areas that need to change. And, then he, and he does it. We pour our hearts out to him. And so we need the word and we need the spirit, both. You have to have both. You can't have one or the other. That's how we know Jesus, through the word, but the empowering through the spirit. If indeed you are feeling anxious about something, we just read here, let not your hearts be troubled. If you're feeling anxious, it's because you're not resting in Jesus. You're not experiencing his presence. You're not feeling at one with him. And so the affairs of his life are beginning to eat you up. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust me. The role of God's spirit is to give us the presence of God. Lastly, as we wrap up, I know the second heading is long, but our time has already expired. The second role of the spirit is to empower us to glorify God. He gives us the presence of God and empowering to glorify God. In John 16, 8 through 14, we won't read it because our time is about up, but John 16, 8 through 14, it describes the Spirit's role. And it says that he has come to convict of sin, to convict of righteousness, to convict of judgment, and to guide believers to truth. And he says the reason why is for the to, to glorify the Son. So the Spirit convicts us of sin, but he does that so that we can glorify Jesus. And he's transforming the lives of people, beginning with us, but then those that we'll bring in that will know him as well. We read earlier in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It is his Spirit that empowers us to love what he commands. And so the Spirit of God is who empowers us to depend on him. He leads us to truth. He, he gives us the strength to love what God tells us to do in his word. And if you look in John 15, I know we don't have time today, but John 15, the first few verses, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, abide in me. Without me, you're nothing. You, you can accomplish nothing of value. You're, you're like an appliance sitting on the kitchen counter that's not plugged into the, the outlet. No power. That appliance is useless. It can do nothing unless it's tapped into the power source. And so the presence of God, that is the power source. And so things like prayer, reading his word, meditating on it are so important. The goal is not to work for Jesus. Hear me. The goal is to enjoy Jesus presence and then he'll work through you and so how you live your life is evidence of how your presence of God is is it real is it constant or is it sporadic is your life marked by things like love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control those are the evidences the fruits of walking in the spirit having his presence but if our life is marked by sexual morality, idolatry, strife, jealousy, anger, envy, addictions, 
lack of forgiveness. All, all these are evidences that we're not walking in the Spirit and we're not experiencing His presence. And so the Spirit of God is at work in us to glorify us, but we need to pursue Him in His Word. And then He'll empower us, He'll give us His strength to live for His glory. May we depend upon Him. And so my prayer is that we will be a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led people who display the glory of our King so that others will join us and experience that joy of His presence as well. Will you pray with me? Father, we do praise you this morning. You are so good and we are so dependent upon you. I pray that you would help us to realize just how dependent we really are on you. Help us to experience your sanctifying presence so that we can glorify you together and be a church that is on fire and on mission for you. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. May we walk with him for your glory. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.